Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hi. You know that movie you always wanted to see, but you didn't for whatever reason? Well, I call those black hole films. Everyone has them, and this podcast aims to do something about that. I'm Jeremy Lalonde, and every episode I'll be joined by one or more guests to watch a film that at least someone in that group hasn't seen. We'll talk about our expectations of it before it, and then our thoughts after it. This is episode 40, and we're joined by returning guests, filmmaker Warren Sonoda, and actor David Tapa. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. So we're sitting down to watch The Hidden Fortress. I'm Jeremy. I have not seen the movie. Hi, I'm Warren Sonoda, and I'm eating popcorn that Jeremy made. And you haven't seen the movie, right? I've not seen the movie, no. And I'm David Tampa. I'm not eating the popcorn. Because <laughs> that crunch. stuff gets stuck in my throat. In I your throat? Those, if Those little, uh, the little leftover parts of the kernel shell. Right. That It gets caught, and then it's like... I can't. You and then we can use a samurai sword to dig it out of you. Sure, or something. <laughs> but I have not seen the movie. In oh, fact, so we're all versions. Yeah. In fact, I know. Uh, essentially, the only thing I know about it is what you've told me, which is it, it is Kurosawa. It's Kurosawa. It yeah. And it's it was part of the inspiration for Star Wars. That's literally all I know about. That's it That's all I know. I oh, know great. nothing more. Yeah. I know exciting. that it's one of his lighter films. Great. So it's not as you know heavy. Heavy. Although he's like. Not a super. He does comedy. He does comedy quite well. Sure. And, and, and like that's what I was most surprised. Like, I haven't seen a ton. I bought a bunch through uh, the Criterion Flash sales, but I, I think <laughs> I'm slowly watching them through the podcast because I wa- we did Rashomon, we did Seven Samurai, right. and so what kind that. of surprised me with Seven Samurai was how fun it yeah, was. It was mm-hmm. fun. Tons. But then it does have very serious. It's sort of like it's weird. It's maybe it was the era or. The parallel, or not the like timeline parallel era, but the same era as when Great Escape was happening, which is so much fun, and then it has these incredibly serious moments. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what's interesting about Kurosawa is like the you know the Japanese cinema background, but he's so influenced by Western cinema. He is, and actually, he's a funny guy. I mean, did you read his uh, something like an autobiography? No. Uh, which is his kind of autobiography. Something like an autobiography. <laughs> it's more his. Um, he he has ruminations on filmmaking and life and how it pertains to him, um, okay. and he comes off as as a very funny yeah you know uh, not haha but like he has his moments and um, obviously you have to have some sort of sense of humor making the movies he makes yeah that's just it and I and for some reason I just I didn't necessarily avoid him but nobody was presenting to him. To me, in a way that I kind of understood what he was about. Mm-hmm. But after watching Seven Samurai, I was just like, "Holy shit! I want to watch everything you've done mm-hmm. for sure." You know, he's a bit of a genius. Yeah, but also he's the kind of filmmaker I want to show movies to my son with now, because right. my son has no problem sitting down to watch a three-hour movie, and now he can read. So he's, I think, ready and game. He could probably and death. Wait, is this three game. hours, Jeremy? Is this a three-hour movie? No, no, movie? this is two twenty. <laughs> okay, that's good. So it's not quite a three-hour movie. No, I mean Seven <laughs> Samurai is a three-hour. Right. Yeah. yeah. Epic. Uh, so, do you what do you know about her outside of what we already talked about, Warren? Um, I mean, I've seen clips. I, I've you know, there's um, there's moments where it's like that's R two D two and C three PO. Like oh, you, you see influences like that. Cool. <laughs> but yeah. I've not seen it, and it's you know, I, the last time I really took a peek at it was back in film school twenty nice. years ago, right? So let's Great. do it. All right, let's watch a movie. Let's watch a movie. 
let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, we finished watching. That was Hidden For- Fortress. Yeah. Fortress? <laughs> Fortress. Fortress. That was uh, it. Yeah, it's funny because I think it was interesting. We had a running commentary trying to like loosely base the Star Wars sections. Right. Yeah. Which this- I almost feel like if you just said, if you'd have picked any old movie and said, this is an inspiration for Star Wars, you'd start going, well, this is that, and this is that. Well, that's obviously Han Solo, and that's C-3PO and R2-D2. You start seeing stuff and stuff you want. Although there's quite a few... There's a bunch of things, but it, it really deviates. I mean, it's really not the same thing at all. No, it's like they're after a princess who's, uh, I mean, it's different in that Alderaan is destroyed in Star Wars, and, and their place is just kind of, but I guess you could argue it's that old, like, well, you know, your your kingdom is wherever you make it. Right. And the people are the kingdom, so. And you're, all, and you're, all the, you're thrust out of your own homeland, and you have to find yeah, but out. In this case, there are three specific clans the bad guys, the good guys are all but wiped out, and then there's this other neutral party. Right? Yeah, the third one. The, the, the country, third one that they're the, trying to get to. Well, the third one is the one they go through to, to avoid the big heavy border, right? Is that what you're talking no, about? No, the place they no. go to is, is a third... Is the bad place. Right. Is the third different place. The place <laughs> they end up at, at is this one that's agreed to take on, to take them in. They just couldn't get there, so they had to go through the bad guys. They had to go through the... Enemy em- territory. Yeah. Yeah, the Imperials to get to something that doesn't exist in Star Wars. Right, right, right. Yeah, and that was the pe- the the peasants' plan. They just wanted to go home, but with the gold. Yeah, and it was them, them that came. R2-D2 and, yeah. and C-3PO just, are much more greedy in this version. They're, they're, <laughs> and rapey. They're, they're oh. brutal, man. You know, they're horrible the, people, generally. Yeah, they're terribly shitty Cowards, people. Cowards, rapey, like, they're just... Well, until the rape bit, I mean, they don't actually rape someone, but you get the sense that they probably raped someone in the past. You know what? You know what's really... It dawned on me while we were watching this is, we're going to go back to so many um, films... I know. ...and just see the the, the blatant misogyny... Oh, it's hard. ...and yeah. sexism. We were ta- when that's we- just rampant uh, from the male gaze from all these films. Absolutely. Uh, and And... It, it struck me while we we're watching Hidden Fortress that, okay, it's it was a different time, but you could see the roots of where it all comes from with with just the subtle jokes or not even subtle jokes, but the jokes that Kurosawa decided to put in well, there. Well, they played as a joke. He's just like, hey, let's draw straws, and whoever gets the shortest one, you, uh, they disappear for a bit while this girl's sleeping, and cl- like they never outwardly say what they're going to do, but it's heavily implied. That girl is not going to have the time she's expecting to have. Yeah, but maybe, maybe they were just, and then I'll try to romance her. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, 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 it's just, up on her own accord. It's just, especially now. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in 2017, it's such a shock yeah. to see that put out there. There's so much. I mean, Animal House literally has a rape scene yeah, in it. Yeah. It's played for laughs. Same as Revenge of the Nerds. Well, Birds, even really. when, when we did Fish Called Wanda, I, like at the end, I said, I think it's kind of sexist. And, and we were all like, well, no. And I was like, well, but the two female characters, one's the naggy wife and one's the, yeah. the, other one's the sex yeah. bot. And so someone said, like, even like, 
Well, yeah, but that's that's the way that it was written. I was like, yeah, but it was written by men. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> no, so, no, it's tough. It's tough. Like, even going through. But and what's kind of interesting is is almost the opposite of that too. Warren is like as we go through some of these older movies, and and with this podcast, I've been watching a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, is that I'm often kind of pleasantly surprised by how every now and then it's like, oh, that was fairly progressive for the time. Right. You know, it's like the apartment even uh, is, is fairly... Oh, it's... Have you, have you, have no, you I've never seen, seen it? It's a black hole, oh. but I couldn't make it. It's pretty progressive, that character, the Shirley MacLaine character, for the time. Um, and then in even... Uh, what did we watch recently? Uh, you know, The, the Graduate. The... Uh, has, but there's... I mean, the Graduate has a couple of issues. Yes. But it's it's interesting, and that's almost always part of the conversation we yes. have with these older movies, yeah. is how well are they dated. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you watch something like Breakfast at Tiffany's, and you're like, oh my God, how did Mickey uh, oh, really like, ever do this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, again, they just thought it was funny. Yeah. They never realized, oh, this is probably, yeah. I, I think with, with Hidden Fortress, the one thing that was evident it was was, you know, Kurosawa's scope of this journey that he wanted to take the viewer on and how we were commenting, you know, in all these scenes where it's like they're not wearing any knee pads, shin pads, or and they're getting trampled on. Oh, and yeah. And I, I think that if you took the stuff that doesn't hold up anymore and is kind of reprehensible to be in there, if you took, if, if you looked at the story that he was trying to tell, um, it doesn't need any of that because it's just a journey that these no and those kind of things are weird flavorings that because you don't need them at all it makes you go oh just edit those out yeah criterion collection <coughs> yeah like lose that one scene like you don't need that it's really that's that one scene hmm. I'm, try- I'm trying to think of of like Shakespeare or something like that where the- he specifically wrote parts for the groundlings right for the that's what they're called right the the people that stood on the floor that Paid all oh right, sure, getting, sure, yeah, right, yeah. So there's there's the the, the peasant class of the peasant yeah. class, yeah. right? And which he it was always those were always the rude characters. Those were yeah. always the the body characters. But is it is isn't even that one scene where she's sleeping? It's the first time they see her. They're very lecherous. Like they go, they're they're the going honor. after her, and she's like literally swatting them away. And you watch this now. I watch it now in the light of everything that's happening in the world. I'm like, Oh God, this is, this is the root of it all. This is where it all comes from is, is from the, the storytelling and the, and the, and the, and the way, you know, the male gaze has fortified this Yeah. in, in previous. Well, you, you even said it while we were watching it is like that, that scene when they first meet her is almost like a metaphor for an average day in the life of a woman. Yeah, it's like, and now you get what it's like to be a woman who, you know, she's just minding her business, minding her business in the forest, and these two guys come out of nowhere, and she has to fend them off. And she shouldn't have to do that. No. She should just be able to stroll through the forest yeah. as a princess on the run. Yeah. yeah. And then you realize, oh, well, I, I wonder what the other side of it is, and there is none because there weren't any female filmmakers making movies in 1950. Just Lenny Rufin style. Right. She had her own issues. <laughs> but you know what? The the one thing that uh, I, I did like about the film was uh, it 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 just was a journey. Yeah. Oh, I liked no, a lot of there it. There was no pretense about it. It was like, 
just let's let's get from point A to point B to point C, and you know it was kind of fascinating to see all these one shot takes of like climbing up a hill. Yeah, and there was a lot of times where I didn't even. It took me. I, I think I pointed out one where we were watching. I was like, that was just one take. That mm-hmm. whole scene, yeah. because you know Kurosawa is is a master of staging, you know, and just knowing. This person comes in here, and you have this much depth, and they enter through there, and you're just watching, and you're just entertained. Uh, and what I find is fascinating about his movies is that even though they're long and they have these big long takes, like they, they keep you engaged because the camera moves around. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, more so than Star Wars, you look at early Spielberg, <coughs> especially something like Duel or or uh, Sugarland Express, where he'll have a character come into foreground the camera will then follow the foreground person and then find someone in the background and then it goes off in there and that's kind of what was happening in mm-hmm. Hidden Fortress that one shot where uh, Shira Mufun comes down comes into a close up turns around the camera falls and then there's uh, the princess yeah. coming over to the left it was the, the the staging was interesting to watch yeah the only scene in this movie that kind of had me nodding off a bit was when uh, they were circling each other in that battle that happened. <laughs> the the lamest spear fight ever. Yeah, it, and oh, it yeah, just it was long. It was just it went on a long time, and it didn't really have much of a point to it. And I just found well, myself it, going, it was just to have the one guy lose so that he could be shamed, so that he could li- he later leave. show up with a scar on his face, you know. But but yeah, you don't need that much. There were a bunch of things where it's like, oh, that was the same guy. See, I think that was the same guy. Was it not? That was. I'm pretty sure that was the same guy. That scar healed real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it was literally a day or two later after that, right? Where they was oh, that, was, I, that, I, was that not the same? I'm pretty sure that was the same. That guy. would make sense if it was the same guy. Yeah, because otherwise it's a non-scene. It just has no point. Yeah. Okay. Well, and and then the I guy later connection. is like you're talking about some history that we didn't even see, but I'm I'm pretty sure that. Well, maybe that's why he was calling after him. Um, uh, you know, Roku Roku come back to kill me. Don't yeah. shame me like this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I lose. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I somehow let it go that it was just some backstory we never saw. Right. So, so, like, because you guys are directors, you can talk about the shots and the staging and the blocking and all that. I'll, I'll jump in when it's like intentions. Yeah, well, what did you think about the, uh, the, the, the sort of um, um, acting of the time. It it's, was it's, very stilted, some it's, of it. It's so bizarre because yeah. it ranges from a beautiful stillness yeah. to, like, pulling faces. Literally just... Yeah. Almost literally pulling faces. It mm-hmm. looks like someone's grabbing his face <laughs> and pulling on it to make some of those faces because he's not doing it from, like, a true place right. in the least. And by no, he, I mean, like, any, any of them. Yeah, it's... it's yeah, it's... Anytime the... the the lower status people, the lower status people are just ridiculous. <laughs> it, it's on purpose. And then she is just the shrill kind. Of, what do you? How do you describe her character in the princess? Well, she's. We called her the Luke of this movie because she was whiny. <laughs> <laughs> she was annoying. She was someone that was a that was sixteen year old, sixteen years old, trying to be an authority figure, right? And so it comes across, but she doesn't have. Mufun's amazing voice like that's the whole like you know like yeah that's how you show authority but yeah I think I think a lot of films from either um, from Japan Ozu or or, um, Kurosawa 
the Japanese acting has that voice. Yeah. Oh, 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 actors. And for the people listening to this, uh, I'm Japanese, so I can kind of comment on this freely. I can say, hey, we have show voice. You know, it's 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 funny. We were, we were watching it. I, I kept saying, that looks like my uncle, or that's my cousin, or you know, because I I saw sort of the archetypes of what I grew up with in my family, uh, and it's funny. Yeah, the the you know when whenever we. They're all bald with ponytails, <laughs> yeah, with ponytails and spears and swords. Yeah, but uh, that the, the voice, that shrill voice, comes out every once in a while, and it's like, oh, where's where's that coming from? That's interesting. <clears throat> what did you like about it, Terry? Jeremy? There's so much I liked about it. I liked. I mean, I just really love how Kurosawa balances like entertainment with you know fun, but it also like there's a story there. There's something that to connect to about you know good versus evil and greed and greed and all that kind of stuff. And it, and it's done kind of like to heighten qualities. Um, but he finds these little moments that are very human as well. I'm trying to think of an example of one. Uh, but and I like that you know the uh, what are their names the uh, the R two D two and C three PO characters uh, uh, as we keep calling uh, them. Hachi and Myra starts with an M. Anyway, those two guys. You know, you take out the scene where they allude to raping a woman, you know, and what I liked about them is that they, you know, they didn't really learn it in the end. Although they that it's very forced upon that whole, like, oh no, you take it, you take it. It's like, when did they learn that lesson? Yeah, that like two seconds ago, there. I, I like that back and forth, like that running gag of, you know, whenever they had nothing, it was like we're in this together yeah, to yeah. the end, right? You're, you're never gonna leave me. It's like, oh no, yeah. And then as soon as one, but of I them think had that's more of a comment on human nature. Yeah. No. Know, exactly. And, and, exactly. And greed, and how you know when when it it's befitting for you to be charitable, you'll do it. But when you actually have a chance to get. Uh, one up someone, yeah. you'll, you'll take it. But I like that it wasn't just kind of this thing where all the good guys are all good guys, right? You know, it's like these guys, like yeah, we'll work together, but we have yeah. our own agenda. You know, I like that. Well, even Roku, uh, the Mifune's uh, uh, character, <coughs> is a is a very uh, uh, stoic general fi- figure that has a history. You know that he's not it's not all good in him. He's yeah. done some probably bad things in his life. He has his own sister killed as the double yeah, yeah. for the princess. Yeah. Well, because everything is to serve the princess. Right. That's because that's his job, and I think he. To, yeah. to me, it makes sense. He's he's like um, he's got a code, you know, and he lives by the code, and and it has nothing to do with sort of a the natural law or human nature or anything like that. It has to do with his code of honor. Yeah. And so his sister dying is. It com- makes complete sense to him, and it's the exact right thing to do. And that's it's you know one of the reasons why this will be a a, a podcast people kind of seek out is because of this hidden fortress, and they know that supposedly it, it was the one of the inspirations for Star Wars. And you know the 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 double for the princess is something they used, or and the Lucas, prequels in Lucas true. used for Padme later right. on. You know, I guess we should talk a little bit about things we saw, or at least made connections with. And Star Wars, absolutely. Well, there's the there's the two guys, there, the R two D two C three PO guys. Yeah, uh, I love how the movie starts too. I love that it's just them on the road, yeah, talking shit to each other. Yeah. Literally, 
saying each other are, are what shitworm? That, that's shitworm. You don't know shitworm over and over again, and we never heard it again. I got, I got to find the Japanese word for shitworm. shitworm. We, we just realized that first. Shithead later, which was very disappointing. <laughs> yeah, it was disappointing when it when it turned into shithead. Uh, that like might be my favorite part of the movie. Actually, it's the that, very be- the first the five minutes is, is them walking and talking. Yeah, yeah, because it, it had it had. The, the elements of Tatooine and them being in this... And then breaking desert. off. Yeah. And then once... The, and, I, and I jokingly said, oh, this... Them being together is like the sand crawler. And, yeah. and then they, they saw each other. It's like, oh, oh that is the scene. It yeah. is. It's the Jawas. It's, it's when they find each other. And, you know, uh, that, that whole opening <laughs> is that moment where they're walking along and you see the, the, the remnants of the, of the, the skeleton... You know, and they're walking through the, the sand dunes. That the whole scene on the staircase is insane. Yeah, where yeah. they're just you know hundreds of extras are just running down the stairs and people falling are falling and trampling. Yeah. And also, that guy at the beginning definitely got hit by the kicked by the horse. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, the yeah. one that was frozen. Yeah. yeah. Well, 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 Warren kind of mentioned there's that scene where they're climbing up the hill and it's just like, they, <laughs> they have shoes on, but they don't have any knee pads no, knee on. There's belts, nothing. Yeah. No, and they're wearing like short shorts. They're like, yeah, there's, yeah. there's no protection yeah. for these actors. Uh, we were talking about way. the music halfway through there, yeah. where both, at least Jer and I, if not you, yeah. were, um, met, said that, you know, I, I recognize that. Like, some of, some of the... There's, definitely, yeah, there. there's the, definitely some lips. There's one piece, probably right in the middle, it's right before the fortress burns down, where we're looking over the hill and we see the four people that are part of the, uh, the princess's entourage mm-hmm. or whoever they are. Uh, there's this one really John Williams esque uh, well, John Williams esque piece, like, or they, maybe the vice versa. No, it's, it's the like, vice versa. It's like <laughs> it's it's Lucas going, listen to this piece. I want yeah. I want and, this, and yeah. you can definitely feel the essence of that in the main themes of Star Wars. Well, and when they get into the town after smug trying to smuggle the gold, uh, you mentioned it's like, oh, this is this is Mons the can- yeah, this is the cantina this is scene, my, yeah, you cantina, know? yeah. Uh, Except kind of not, but th- that's sort of it. It is. felt it felt like yeah. that, and. There was that one moment where uh, they're in the gnarly wood, and it's like, well, that looks Stag- like Dagobah. Yeah. 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 And even that, there's that one moment before uh, they all leave. There's the older woman, and she has a very Yoda esque thing. Mm-hmm. You know, she's only in that. She's one an elder, thing. whether it's yeah. she's an elder, but she does Yoda or Obi Wan or yeah, who she is. She is was one piece I, I can't remember <coughs> off the top of my head. I was expecting because I I knew almost nothing about it, and the the one thing I knew is that it was the inspiration for stars. I was expecting to be there uh, a direct tie between samurais and jedis, and also uh, the force and sort of the Zen way of life or something like that. And there was really zero about that at all. Right. No, but you could just argue that that's just directly lifted just by the nature of that, and you don't need to have that. I, I guess so, but. There are, there are so many more movies that explore that, mm. and this doesn't explore it at all. It explores a zero. Like, I don't... The spiritual was there, side, no. Was there, there was, a samurai in there was There was no spiritual was side of it. Well, technically, Fume's character is samurai. Sam, I guess he's not a samurai. He's a general. He's, he's, a general. A general. he's a general. He's not a samurai. Yeah, and he's almost like this weird combination of, like, Obi-Wan and Han and a little bit of Luke, I guess. Yeah. Like, he's a... Maybe... It's really well. He's kind of like the hero's journey. I guess he's the hero, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, because the clowns aren't. But he doesn't change at it's, all. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, it's told through the perspective of the clowns. For sure. I mean, the if if anything, they're um, the only ones that have an arc. If anything, there are there is no hero in this movie. It it there's there's no even I guess the the princess, but she's so protected by Mephi, Mephi, like there's there's no journey for her either. She's just. 
the the vessel of royalty that needs to be taken from point A to point B. Yeah. Um, you don't have well. I, what I was hoping there to be, um, which would because if there was a hero, it was the it was the woman they found in the brothel. Who you know? Yeah, constantly sacrificed herself to right, protect herself to up. protect the prince. I think she was one of the, Where did the strongest she characters. Up, she wasn't in the end of the. She wasn't in the. No, I think I think they. Scenes. I think she did well in the new village. I, I guess so, but she, I expected her to. I expected her to be in yeah, that sort absolutely. of. And that's kind of like the, the the ceremony at the end of Star Wars, yeah. where they're getting the medals, right? They get it's like piece. you, it, it, even yeah. the even the the blocking of it is very reminiscent of. Uh, what Lucas ultimately did with the main heroes on the raised platform. Yeah, I, I was hoping that um, the uh, the two clowns would have their Han Solo moment, and when they were all tied up, that they would come and rescue them. Right. Yeah. And that would be like, no. oh, see, but no, no they're only for themselves. <laughs> no, they only really care about themselves. Yeah. yeah. I kept expecting them to redeem themselves a lot, but they they just really didn't. Well, and yeah. and, and not only Star Wars, there's. There's elements we were talking about, you know, This it reminded us of uh, Indiana Jones, whether it's Temple of Doom or yeah, Last yeah. Crusade or whatever. There's there's elements from uh, from both Spielberg and Lucas, I think, that they they actively lifted uh, or were inspired by. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of Indiana Jones stuff. <coughs> the uh, There was, I think, the fire. It was interesting that the big, the fire, the fire dance. Yeah. Dance? The, the fire festival. Fire festival, yeah. fire festival. Uh, you, you you instantly saw Temple of Doom. I saw Temple of Doom, or I saw the end of Raiders with the Ark being uh, put, uh, was opening, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant being yeah. opened with all the Nazis around. Where I saw the uh, the scene in Last Crusade where they're burning all the Bibles and then Hitler signs the, oh, that, the, right. the diary. Right, right, right. right. I saw. But I love that. I love that moment. I love the idea that they just let it burn and then came back the next morning. Right, got the and gold. they're there. No one, no one else saw the gold that was burned. No, they're also passed out. Two hundred bars of gold that just got burnt in the fire festival. No, but that was that, you know that character was, a, was smart. He's like, though. don't draw attention to it. If mm-hmm. you draw attention to it, they're gonna wonder what's in there. Just let it burn. Well, he's yeah. not stupid. He knows gold will not burn. He'll it'll just melt and they'll become something else. Uh, I'm surprised Lucas didn't uh, put any sort of magical fog that comes in from nowhere because that that played a couple times with the with with the story where suddenly this fog would right. come in. or or um That's we, we saw we saw elements of the endor um speeder chase speeder bike chase right, with the horses with the horses yeah a little bit Although, was, oh yeah was there ever a really the chase yeah well he had uh, when mifuni was chasing the guards with the one he wasn't. He wasn't. The two guys and the horses. Yeah, he had his sword in his hands, and he wasn't really steering the horses. Right, right, right. That was very speeder bikey right. for Endor. Yeah, yeah. There's also there's a couple of wipes. Yeah. Oh, there's tons of wipes in this. <laughs> yeah. I guess Lucas is like, how do I get out of this? What's the trick? Well, I was gonna do the wipe. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder. Did, did uh, um, I didn't really uh, research too much before seeing this, but did uh, Kurosawa ever talk about? Uh, Hidden Fortress vis a vis the Star Wars. I don't know. I'd love to look it up. Yeah, I, I purposely avoided doing any research on it because I wanted to just come to it really clean. But, yeah. Um, I'd be curious to know. I wonder if there's a booklet that's in the cri- that comes with the. Yeah. About what he, what he saw after Star Wars came out. What he thought. Was he ever offered an American film, or did he ever do any work over here? Well, Ron was. Um, Produced by Scorsese. I don't know if it's classified as a, an American film or not. Right. But it's still very much a Japanese film. 
Yeah. You know, this funny thing... Um, <laughs> well, he got to the point where people wouldn't finance his movies anymore because the, the budgets kept on getting crazy yeah. and over the top, right? I, yeah. I was talking... I forget. I was talking to a filmmaker a couple days ago about Kurosawa because I was telling him I was going to do the podcast. And he said a funny story about Kurosawa that he heard was... Um, and in, a reporter or an interview was interviewing him and going, you're a genius about your composition and, and your f- a framing of landscapes. It's beautiful. I think they were talking about Ron or something like that. And like, how, how do you come up with, you know, how you lens your, lens your, uh, um, camera and curse. I was like, well, if I panned this way to the left, you saw telephone poles. And if I panned <laughs> this way to the right, you see the highway. So that's my frame right there. And, I mean, and I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah. And in a way, that's very. I think um, what struck me watching this was it was very pragmatic. The storytelling it was very like this beget this beget that, and um, uh, it's one thing I, I like about the way he approaches of filming something is um, as opposed to the the style of a Spielberg, where it's it's all movement and camera. There's there's something very uh, workmanlike watching Hidden Fortress, um, even though there was some long shots. There. Like the one shot where um, uh, the princess was singing, it was a wide, it's a wide shot. It's a four shot, and it holds for a while, and it holds for the entire scene. Yeah, yeah. And that's just like, and and you don't go in for that. I was waiting for that close up because it's kind of an emotional moment for her, but he chose not to. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I find that very sort of pragmatic. There's something about doing that that uh, keeps it very real. It, in that way, <sighs> you can see the reactions of everybody else about how it's affecting not, them, right? Not dramatic is what right. I mean. Right. You know, and and so that it. I, I remember watching. It was when the whole um, Waco, Texas thing was happening, mm-hmm. and there was uh, some footage of one of the SWAT team or whatever it was. And he was, or I think they might have been military, but he was climbing up on the roof, like trying to right. get to a vantage point. And all of a sudden there's a sound and he just lays down. Right, right. And th- but that was him getting shot. Right. And, and because it wasn't a film, we weren't using shots or music or anything to dramatize it, to make it dramatic. It, it was so simple and therefore so... Real. Like, well, the simplicity of it mm-hmm. hits you. And I, I, that's what I like sometimes about these things where it's like, Oh my God, that's it. That's, this is that thing. Well, and, and especially in older films where they weren't so cutty. Right. So, exactly. So in your face. Where they're not tell yeah. where they're not dictating every, like mm-hmm. here is the story. No, you made, you made choices then and there. Like there was, because you didn't, you couldn't shoot everything. Yeah. You didn't have the time. You didn't have the money where now you would just, you would get that close right. up. And like, Oh my God, how do you film this? In the desert or those cliffs or it's insane. You know, Even the forest moves. stuff. Yeah, the forest stuff. Yeah, you look at um, the the steps sequence. Yeah, well, and, and everything. Like, I you know, having only seen three of his movies now at this point, like everything he shoots is pretty much an exterior. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I there are a couple sets in this. Has to be <coughs> just looking at it. You know, they constructed the interiors of some of the things. Even the the cave thing looks kind of. Built. Oh right, yeah, 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 yeah. for oh, sure. Okay, right. No, but just like he's, you know, the stuff of running through the forest yeah. and, and shots like that, like you know, the, the the technology and equipment they have back then is not what we have now. Yeah, no. it yeah. reminds me so much of like Ben Hur or uh, uh, Last uh, the Ten Commandments or something like that. Like the scale of it is just gigantic. Mm-hmm. But not, but yeah, it is. Gone. But it's not because at the at the root of it, it's a 
it's you know for people on the road four fight. people on the road well yeah sure but then there are these, these yeah, scenes where, like, where all those prisoners revolt yeah. you know like scenes like that where it's just like or the, or the scene on the steps yeah. Yeah. of all the soldiers coming up and yeah. all the prisoners coming down and, oh that was the same revolt yeah. but yeah it's like but it wow. but it just shows like the wisdom of how of Kurosawa where it's just like let's spend the money here mm-hmm. right because once we if we establish the world and how big it is and how all the stuff early on we can let the movie be small for eighty percent of it, mm-hmm. and then every now and then we just need a hundred extras to pop up on the other side of the river. Right. right. Most of it is the journey, and then there are these little places they stop here right. or there. Where yeah, and that's kind of the beauty of the nature of it, is that they're trying to stay hidden, so they don't want to see the other side. <laughs> but I have to say, and I said this watching the film, to put the hidden fortress at the bottom of a canyon or ravine is st- strategically the wrong place to put it. <laughs> but it was hidden. <laughs> it was hidden. You hide up in the hills. You should be, you yeah, know, that's a, that's tactically a, above everything. That's because the bad guys will be like, well, no one will put a fortress <laughs> right there. there. It's stupid. <laughs> yeah. Terrible place to put it. And, thinking, and it wasn't really a fortress as it was, it was like a cabin. Two, yeah, two shacks and a, and, a, and, a, and a ditch. Yeah, I gotta say, I was a little <laughs> disappointed by the fortress. I was expecting <laughs> the Death Star. Yeah, I was. Well, that's. I, I assumed the fortress was something from the bad guys. Yeah, it was more like, like the low budget version of Hoth. Right. Right. Like. Right. The trench. Because the I was expecting and, when they went into the, the cave area or whatever that there'd be a ton of people. Because I I was still thinking like fortress, the rebellion, yeah. not like six people that are left <laughs> over and that's it. Right. That's it from their whole clan is yeah. six people. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to start over with 200 pieces gonna, of gold. Yeah. 200 pieces of gold and two people from the clan? <laughs> Although, Hidden Fortress is a better title than Two Shacks in a Ditch in right. the Bottom of a Ravine. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'd watch that movie. <laughs> if Kurosawa made it, I'd watch it. Two Shacks in a Ditch? I'm into that. <laughs> that sounds like it's some kind of a swear phrase, but... Yeah, it's a pseudonym or something. Uh, what else? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's not really a character movie. Like, the characters don't grow. They're, but they're interesting. They're fascinating to watch. Yeah. It, it, I, it's not my favorite of his after seeing maybe three. I think I've seen three or four. What have you seen? I've seen Rashomon. I've yep. seen Seven Samurai. Yep. Rashomon, for me, is still my favorite. Rashomon's great. Because it's, it's, so, it's so smart and inventive and... But um, even even Seven Samurai, which is much Samurai, closer to yeah, this one, it is. That one to me is way better and way. Is, yeah. it, it, this one wasn't very <coughs> hard hitting at all. No, where Rashomon is, and Rashomon Rashomon's incredibly hard hitting. But Seven mm-hmm. Samurai even has these very. Yeah, the story with the young. Especially if you watch the, the longer version, it has the, the the story with the young girl and the guy, and just kind of politics inside mm-hmm. of the village while they're waiting. Uh, but Rashomon's. Rushman's All Politics. We watched that for the podcast right. with uh, Jen Whalen and Marvin McKay. And that was, uh, so if you haven't, you know, go back and check out that episode. Check out that episode. Check out all the episodes. Check out all the episodes. Um, yeah. It's interesting where it fits. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think if I could show this to my son yet. Mm. We'd have to have a conversation about some of those things. About the, yeah. about the misogyny and the... The blatant sexism that is there a reason to show it to him? Well, he knows that he was asked every time I, oh, I have yeah. a, I do a podcast recording. He's always, "What are you watching tonight? Right? right, can, right. I, can I watch it?" I was like, "You can't watch it with us, but if I if I think it's okay, you can watch it after." Yeah, 
I think there's other movies that he can watch besides. No, absolutely. No, he'll he'll get into this. Well, that's that's the thing I keep on explaining because he wants to just watch everything. Right. And I have to keep on explaining to my buddy as you get older, it's just more movies are going to open up to you, and it's it's worth waiting for some of these because you're not they're going to fly over you. Yeah. You're not going to appreciate them, and you won't want to revisit them when you're older. I read The Lord of the Rings when I was pretty young, and I. I sort of remember them, but not really. We just finished reading the last book. He and I are going to sit down and watch the the final film uh, this weekend. Oh, wow. Oh. So, so you've been reading out. and then watching, reading, watching. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. So he's you're, you're like number one dad. Right? No, we, I got lucky. We, uh, we, just, we just finished reading Fellowship. Right. And TSO did their live concert. Oh, nice. The movie. So that's how he got to watch Fellowship for the first Amazing. time. It was like the live score. Um, and so we slowly watched, we just finished it. So we're going to do the four hour, uh, extended version on right. Saturday morning. Right. Crazy. Yeah. But it's fun. But it's interesting. It's been our bed, but, but that's what we've been reading for the last year and a half at bedtime. And now we're, what do we read now? We were, we're trying to find the next thing to read. Have you read, uh, well, is this conversation <laughs> for the podcast? It's fine. Okay. Um, the, uh, Lloyd Alexander, uh, Black uh, Cauldron is the most famous of the books. There's like five of them. The dar- uh, not the Darkest Rising trilogy. It's the uh, Middle uh, Middle Earth or in, um, no. another one. Terran Terran the Conqueror. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember what the I'll look it up. the series is. Black Cauldron. I'll look that up. In Black Cauldron. Whatever. Okay. Whatever. Uh, Lloyd Alexander is is the writer, and then they're they're really cool and like, except for the Black Cauldron by Disney, haven't really been done at all. And sort of should be at some point. Interesting. Yeah, okay. they're, they're great. Uh, and then the other one is... Uh, he's too young, maybe. How old is he now? He's eight. He's, he'll be, he's eight and a half. I really like the Darkest Rising trilogy, which is excellent. Okay. I'll look into these things. Yes. Eventually... What's the Darkest Rising trilogy? Um, Oversea, Understone, Greenwich, and the Darkest Rising. That sounds like four. That's sweet. <laughs> okay, I can't cool. believe I remember that too because I haven't read this since I was a kid. Um, the Knife of Never Letting Go is uh, Patrick Ness. That's the first book out of three, and it's amazing. Cool. Yeah, and they're they're making the film. Nice. So that's I don't know unless I auditioned for it. I didn't get it. <laughs> didn't get it. It wasn't really the right part for me. I'm hoping I'm hoping for something else later. Nice. In, in one of the other two films. And now yeah. everybody at, at, at home is wondering, when are they going to get back to the Hidden Fortress? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts on the movie? So we've, we've covered a lot. Um, uh, yeah, character story. Okay, I, you know, I, I see traces of, of Star Wars in it, but certainly not whole cloth. No, it's not an entire, it's not like a remake of it. No, which I don't think I, I don't think I was expecting either. Uh, and it's interesting, and you draw probably more parallels than there are just by looking for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely, you, you get the sense of, like, of the journey of trying to have a little bit of fun mm-hmm. with it. Of being yeah. rebels, of being on the run, and, and being, you know, Yeah, being the underdog. I, I, the biggest thing for me, for sure, is the R2-D2 C-3PO. Yeah. Even though it's not, it's not this It's same. very different. It's very different. It's... It, but they're bickering. They're the bickering the, idea. The, the bit of the bickering and the and, and just some of the, yeah. <laughs> After the the stair sequence and they're like running away, it just reminded me of um, the opening of Star Wars on on the uh, 
<coughs> on the print, on print, the princess's ship where they're just walking through the the stormtroopers' yeah. fire. It's just weird to me that you can say that it's inspired and like and just ha- really have nothing about the force. Like, because to me, that's, <laughs> that's most of what yeah. Star Wars is. Yeah, but you get this. Um, this blanket army that's not very good at what they do, but they have the numbers. Worst shots ever. That's yeah. where the stormtroopers came. Well, from, those so. guns are not. Good <laughs> yeah, that's true. To David's point, that like those those guns don't have great accuracy. <laughs> where I would think that the laser guns the stormtroopers the have, the blasters, like laser guns, should be yeah. a little bit better. <laughs> they <laughs> they, they at least like, should shoot straight. Yeah, those muskets. are muskets. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Takes thirty seconds to reload, yeah. and the sights are never on. Even no, there, there are no sights. <laughs> I mean, they're not even holding them up to their face, like their eye, right? They're holding <laughs> like them down here. Generally, just them. point in the direction. No, that's of the how muskets work. Is like you need a lot of them right. firing at the same time, yeah. and it works like a giant shotgun. Yeah. yeah. So you just hope you hit something. Well, and that was one thing in the stair sequence that was cool. Was he had a wave of uh, uh, a fire line, and then they would retreat, and the next the next fire yeah, line would come yeah, up, absolutely. and they would retreat and reload, and and that was at least. It makes sense. You know. Well, and also they're using in the right circumstance where it's a crowd of people, yeah. so it's like it, you don't need to be accurate. You're yeah. just gonna, you just have to you stop. You just want to hit yeah. a bunch of people to scare them enough. Yeah, or, yeah you want to stop them from rebelling. Yeah, yeah. No, I really like that. I like you know outside of the stuff we mentioned, the the uh, the stuff that does not hold up well at all. Yeah, you know, it's still uh, I, I'm, I'm three for three on Kurosawa, and I'm, I'm loving them all. Right. So I still have got you, you Jimbo downstairs. What else do I have? I have at least high and low. I have to watch that still. There's one more that I picked up, but they're all on my list to grab right. at some point. Yeah, I'm glad. I, I'm glad I kind of waited because it's kind of like one of those. I kind of dipped my toe in almost all like the, the foreign great foreign masters while I was in film school, and for some reason never got around to Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. And so it's like this new discovery of mine that I've just had in the last year. Right. That just. Kind of making me feel like a, f- a film nerd again. Right. Are there others that you know of that you could do later in life? Of other people? Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, who else? Um, well, Ozu. You should. You should. Oh, Ozu. You. I've, I've been a fan of Ozu for yeah. a long time. Yeah. Um, and I've got a bunch of his stuff. Uh, no, I've always dipped, and it's like so now I'm going through all the all Tati's films. Jacques Tati. I hadn't watched all of them, but I'd seen most of them. Um. Yeah. Just everything. Yeah. I'll watch anything. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good or interesting. Yeah, I've seen your wall. How, how do you have time? You have kids, you, you do Baroness von Sketch, you make movies. You just make the time. Oh, you don't, I, you don't do sleep you find hard how many hours? Yeah, how many hours do you sleep a night? <laughs> Five or six? Yeah, see, that's two hours. There you go. If I, if I took out two hours of my sleep, because I'll sleep seven or eight. No, that's not true. I have a son now. I sleep seven if I'm lucky. <laughs> but... Um, no, on average, I sleep. Yeah, I usually go around to bed around like midnight. I'm up around six or seven. Oh God, yeah, I can't do it. And then once every two weeks, I'll go to bed early. Unless I'm shooting, if I'm shooting, then I go to bed at a decent time. Right. Generally speaking, that's the opposite of me. It's the opposite. Yeah, I can't go to bed at, at a decent time if I'm shooting. I just find that my I just I'm physically tired, and so yeah, it's easier. Oh, at the I'm, end of the day, yes, okay. I, I you know, especially on a on a film. It's like you you shoot, you uh, usually have a, a meeting right after. You go back to the hotel or whatever, do your shot list. Maybe watch rushes. I I rarely watch rushes, nah. but by the time I finish my shot list, 
have a like, snack. Is it like and eat while I'm doing it? I just fall asleep and then yeah. wake up again. And That's the difference between directors it. and actors to some degree. <laughs> well, you're constantly working. You're constantly working. And depending on the role, I'm either... Yeah, you might come in for six hours or seven hours. Yeah, even even when it's a lot, like long days, you know, unless there's rewrites or something, I've normally prepared it ahead of time, so... Yeah. Same as... But that's similar. Like, you do a lot of prep, but then as things change and things shift... Like, I try to shot list the entire movie before See, I don't... I, I used to try to do that, and then I realized by day two, my shot lists were, like... Oh, they don't. They don't matter shot. anymore because everything's changed. You know, I, I usually shot list the night before. Yeah, I I never look at my shot lists. Oh, really? But I do them, and then they're in my head, and I know that they're as a fail safe. You know, see, I, I, I'm always looking. I'm checking off the things. See, that's and, that's more like for me as an actor is right. I do all you know. I prep and I plan and I figure stuff out. And when you I, show, well, I don't write it right, down. Right. I I almost never write stuff down. I just do I do the work and then whatever sticks sticks and whatever yeah. doesn't stick wasn't going to be useful anyway. Yeah, so. and that's how we're, and I have the list so if it's like you know how it goes just things happen and you get yeah. stressed or whatever you're yeah. like ah, I need to look at it what, what did I have planned here but I'll find you know how it is with that it's just like to tell an actor where to stand you're just you're shooting yourself in the foot it's like yeah it's oh uh, yeah no for sure I mean for me my shot lists are more reminding me to get this shot to make sure. I hit this emotional moment within the scene to yeah. make sure I have the shot for that or the close-up or, or the insert that needs to... Yeah, and that's, and that's what I go back. I, I'll usually, when I'm getting close, when I think I got the scene, I'll go mm-hmm. back and that's when I'll go through it and be like, yeah, I got everything I needed. Or I go, yeah, this shot, these five shots here were actually just this one shot that mm-hmm. I was able to, to combine right. into... And then mostly I'm using it to make sure I'm not turning around on set as much. So I'm shooting everything this way, and then I'll do the turnaround, and I'll get these shots, and da 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 That's the Sidney Lumet style of yeah. shooting. Yeah. And when they did 12 Angry Men, he just shot... He blocks out the entire he thing? Blo- he blocks oh, out the entire geez. movie. Oh my god, that would be so hard for an actor. Yeah, really Could you imagine this? Okay, so we just did the entire movie. We're doing all yeah. your close-ups now we're gonna for do, the whole movie. Now we're going to turn around and get you. Just remember what you did. Yeah. But that's back in the day when lighting just took forever. So, they, they, but they might they probably rehearsed too. Yeah, so yeah. That well, that, that whole movie takes place in one room. Yeah, you know. So they block shot this way. That's now we're insane. looking this way. They, that's Do how you, they did. What I think. You, what, well, I think they actually did. A, I don't think. I think they did a couple passes. They did two or three passes of the room, but that's how they shot that movie. Right. Crazy. Did you hear that on the on the DVD? No, that's in his book. His making movies. Book. Oh, making movies. Right. Um, what do you do with rehearsal time? Oh, have you, you have you had a lot if of you rehearsals? Can get it. Yeah. Um, I prefer for rehearsal time. I prefer just to have conversations. Right. Um, it's usually not about putting stuff up on its feet, unless it's something complicated. Right. And we and we have to work out. And we have to figure out where we're going to be and all that kind of stuff for other units and whatnot. Like um, on Baroness, we didn't have much rehearsal time at all, but we had a lot of time for conversations. Mm-hmm. Like right. We were in the office the whole time because they were also doing a lot of press for this when we were doing. Uh, prepping for season three season two is coming out on uh, IFC in the States and so they were just and a day with press so we didn't have the rehearsal time they were hoping for but we had a lot of time to grab things in between and just talked a lot right which is what I like but there was a couple sequences that were really involved where I was like we need to actually go to this location 
because it's a big scene that takes place along an entire street. Because we and there's stunts and there's like a big right. gag. I can't say too much about it. Right. But um, we need to work that out because I've got like five different units that need to know what we're doing. And where sure. We're gonna be but that's perfect. that's stunts. That's that's yeah. a different type of. I'm talking like. Say for orgy, did you do any work in the in the living like any of the scenes where it's the six hander or the the five hander scenes? No, no. If you, if you watch, uh, for those of you that don't have it, uh, if you pick up the Blu-ray, there's actually a really good. Or how to have an orgy in a small town? Yeah, there's a there's a, um, a good making of that our, our EPK guys did, where you get to see me block a stage scene. Mm. Uh, and it, cool. was, it was just fun watching that back after because it's the kind of stuff you don't really like. Oh, that was kind of interesting. How we I have it at home, idea. Jerry, because I was a Kickstarter uh, supporter, so I'll watch it. I'll so watch that. You, so you get a sense of how because we didn't we didn't have any rehearsal time on that, right? Right. Um, outside of just uh, talking with the character actors and and having meetings, like I spent a lot of time with Jewel, just talking about her things, and and this and I went through the entire script for over two weeks every night and just. And so that's that's what I mostly kind of find thing. myself doing during rehearsals. Whenever I do uh, get the time and can afford to have the time with the actors, is it's more script work than putting anything up on its feet. And I always thought I'm not using my rehearsal time properly. But the more I talk to other filmmakers and, and actors too, like, have you ever had intense rehearsals for a film? The, the, Plays, obviously, but the, yeah, for sure. Well, that's all about rehearsal. Yeah. But um, recently, I shot a, a, an episode of. Um, the Expanse, mm-hmm. and he brought us in for one of the scenes. It was the the three main characters and, and me, <laughs> and it's this big long scene with the four of us. And so he wanted to get a, a head start. Actually, I, th- I think we did all of them, but that one especially. Uh, and so that one we did everything. We started with just reading it, mm-hmm. and then and then we talked about it, mm-hmm. and then we started putting up on on its feet, not blocking, but just getting up and, mm-hmm. and doing the scene. And then we actually blocked it. And so by the end of that day, um, it was four hours or something like that. By the uh, end of that four-hour chunk, I mean, we, we could have shot it, was except it a, that we didn't have anyone there. Was it a very <laughs> involved scene? Was there stunts or any sort of special? No, no, there was nothing like that. No stunts or anything, just four characters. Talking. Talking. And, and there's quite a bit of movement, right. but... But outside of that, nothing special about it at all. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was, I, I mean, I, I'm an actor, so I loved it. Yeah. And then when we shot it, we were like already good to go. And so, you know, TV is like boom, boom, boom. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was so great to, to start from that place. And, it, and we didn't end up with exactly what we had done, you know. Right. But... Um, the stupid camera gets in the way all the time. Yeah, well, every you know, yeah. You, yeah. when you get on set, everything changes. Yeah, everything changes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but we did do it on set, on the set, on mm-hmm. the actual set, and and so yeah, we started from that place, and then it only went up from there. And I right. think, I mean, I haven't seen it yet. It's not coming out till the new year, but yeah. Um, that kind of thing shows. I'm, I'm quite sure. Oh, but yeah, I absolutely. Like, Especially when you don't have time to rehearse. It's like that's no. why I do the masters first. It's, it's always, I I burn the takes that get yep. them into the zone. Oh, absolutely! You got to play a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I find the conversations make a big difference because you don't have time to have those conversations right. on the day, and it makes you even if you don't come up. Because I'm not a big believer in having to come up with all the answers either when you have those conversations. Because right. yeah. a lot of times it's like, well, let's have, let's talk about this, and I'm gonna go go away, and while I'm having dinner tonight, I'm gonna be keep thinking about it or whatever. But mostly it's script stuff, not blocking stuff, though. 
It's, no. It's always story stuff I find. Yeah, generally. The only, I think when we did Go-Getters, we did actually a fair amount of rehearsal with Aaron and Tommy. Um, but that was just because the whole movie just basically revolves on their two characters. Right. And that movie, it hasn't come out yet, so nobody's seen it. But, you know, when you watch it after you listen to this, it, it, it's there's a very specific pattern to that rhythm of that dialogue. Mm-hmm. And, and was that rehearsed? We did some, yeah, to some extent. Right. Um, or at least they knew where they're going to go with it. Yeah, and, and part of it was just kind of bringing Tommy up to speed with the rhythm of the... Uh, because Aaron, who co-wrote it and was playing mm-hmm. the lead, had written it for himself. Knew the banter. And knew the banter. and So there was more just like to make sure that we were hitting the ground running on day one because Aaron was already you know at full speed with it and just getting... Just kind of cutting down the discovery time to some extent, but also still leaving a lot of room for discovery, too, because that's also the danger that I always find if you over-prepare and you think you know exactly how this thing should be, um, then that can be a danger, too, right? Mm -hmm. You have certain actors that you're like, well, I'm just trying to do it right. And I'm like, I never want you to do it right. I want you to play. I want you to find new stuff on every take. Like, There's no such thing as doing it right. You know, it's it's about doing something real. And doing yeah, something I mean, especially because you do comedy, I do, we do a lot of comedy stuff. Um, I'm all for finding the funny, <laughs> making it funny, or finding the button of the scene. What What's really daunting though is when you're standing there, uh, and then suddenly it it will happen on uh, Trailer Park Boys because the boys write their own scripts, but sometimes they don't always think through story stuff. <laughs> and the thing that stops everything dead cold is. Uh, this doesn't make any when sense. they show up, it's like, why am I? Why is this happening right. here? Why is why is this happening? And then everything stops, and then it's twenty minutes of trying to figure out a story point that should have um, been, figure been figured out. Figure out yeah. And and uh, and it's not just trailer park boys. It's 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 you know whenever it happens, and it will happen once or twice on a shoot where those script things should have been found, but you just don't have time. It's funny how even now, like I'm, I'm in early early prep on a movie. And just over the, I was reading a, a book, and then it triggered this thought about the ending of the movie. I was like, wait a minute, there's a logic problem. Yeah, and I'm glad I thought of it now. Yeah. And it's a small one that's easily fixed. Right. Okay. But it was like, oh, yeah, why didn't I think of that earlier? But it's funny how many times you can read something, and then something else will make you look at it in a new light, or someone will say something, yeah. someone will do something. It's like, oh. You know, you'll find sometimes just actors look at each other in a certain way, and it's yeah. like, oh, that's how that relationship yeah. works. Or M. Night, the world is 80% water. Why do the aliens come here? <laughs> oh yeah, so that's a good point. Maybe we should look into that. No, it's it's fun. I don't know how we got on this tangent of rehearsals, but it's always interesting to hear how other filmmakers approach rehearsal time because uh, uh, a we never get enough of it, and when we do, I I feel like I don't utilize it enough because we end up just talking about the script. But I, that's guess that's, okay. I guess that's what it's for. I think any time you can have those kind of conversations or, or work on it, I think is useful. For, for me, as an actor, I, I don't like to... A lot of actors are like, oh, let's just get up and do it. I, mm-hmm. I don't want to get up unless we have all the stuff and we're on set. Mm-hmm. It, 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 you know, just getting up doesn't... Mm-hmm. No. It doesn't mean anything to me at all. Yeah, I'd, like, I'd rather I, like why, why block a scene... In this room that we're sitting in, which is a really nice room, Jeremy. I love your uh, oh, thanks, your buddy. screening area. But like, uh, if, you're how, not in, if you're not in the room, you're supposed. You how are we gonna uh, do the scene where there's a, a, a Thanksgiving dinner? Yeah, you know, 
what, what's the point of it? Because it's all going to change when we get to set. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That I don't care about. Lumet, Lumet talks about that too, about his, how he uses his rehearsal time and that, and he'll you he'll be in like either uh, near a church rec room or whatever, and he'll have tape out as best he can and try to recreate the set or so what it's weird. going to be right. like. Right. Just to give so that you actually have a sense of the space you'll be in. Was Jeff Bridges? I heard him talking about this. So who was that? No, it was Coppola. He, what, what film did was Jeff Bridges one of the one of the main guys in with Francis Ford Coppola? I don't know. Fabulous Baker Boys. Mm, I don't know. I think anyway. it was Coppola, but he he filmed it all. <coughs> he he filmed it all. Filmed the rehearsal. Filmed the rehearsal. He had everyone memorize mm. everything and learn it all, and then they just did one take for every shot he had, and he had a little cheap little video camera. And he shot the whole thing and then, and then put it together and showed it to them and said, here's the movie that we're going to make, hmm. basically. And then they actually went and made the movie. That's crazy. And, and Jeff Bridges said that he, he loved it. He thought it was, it, it was so helpful. John Pierre, as you know, does a similar thing, too. He uh, does kind of like real, I guess it's kind of like a, a, a previs animatic type thing, but with the actual actors. Right, yeah. That's how you do that. There's an interesting, on the, uh, the social network... Uh, disc as well there's a really interesting thing is part of the making of watching uh, Andrew Garfield and Jesse Eisenberg sit down with Sorkin and with Fincher and they just spend days and days and days going through the script word for word mm. beat for beat and just over analyzing it and, uh, and that, so it's and that's the rehearsal time I don't know I don't know if that's Anywhere near my process. It's like... And that's the other thing. I mean, 70 takes on one thing. Oh, my God. I don't know if I could do that. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want to do that. No. That's what you, wearing... What do you get on takes... I mean, other than, like, completely wearing people down and Well, with Fincher, it's like... <sighs> it, it, it's a couple different things. The reason why he does it, I think. There is... Part of it is just getting the actors to the point where they're not even thinking anymore. Because they mm-hmm. can't. Because their brains are just fried. But, it's but also, is that a good performance? I don't know. You I don't know, know, but it's also he's this. It's yeah. but the, the thing he also does if you if you really watch, like the camera moves with the character and subtle and every subtle little thing like it's always there. And part of those seventy takes is getting the camera just right. Sure, through. getting the operation. Getting but the operation then for me, I go. But, but what if you? That's not the best performance. But you there's <laughs> you know the the in, improv the bell game. If someone says a line and there's a little bell. And you normally put, you can put an improviser in charge, but often you put an audience member in charge. No, it should be an improviser. <laughs> anyway, but when they say, when anyone, anyone says a line, you can ring the bell if you don't like the line, if it right. falls flat. And, and you can ring it a bunch of times in a row. And so what that does is it gets the person past the obvious choices. And they have to repeat the line? No, they, they say something different. So okay. if I was like, hey, Warren, how's this going? Dang. And you're like, I'm... Warren, I haven't seen you in Dang. a million years. Warren, you piece of shit. I'm going to come and nail you. You know, like, so until it's the one that yeah. people want, you know? Right. So, and it gets you past the obvious choices and gets you to a place where you, where you just blurt something out. Right. And, and so I, I think that's not exactly what's happening. I think it's analogous to what's happening. For sure. Where it, it like uh, Clint Eastwood is the opposite. He wants one take, right. ideally, right? He he sets everything up as perfect as possible, brings the actor in last minute, and then it's like we do one take, good, let's move on. Unless there is a real issue, then we'll do a second take. So he's trying to grab 
that like the truth and the spontaneity in that way. Whereas this is the this is more the wear you down method in a sure. way where it's like let's get past all that obvious. And I stuff. think for mere mortals, there's that in between of like you right. know, seven takes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think you need seventy to get to what I'm talking. Well, about. and seventy is is just a luxury that many of us just will never have. Yeah, we just can't simply do it. Mm-mm. I like to walk away from a scene with three takes that I, that I like. Sure, because the three fir- you like because the first one's a lie. Right. The first one's just the first time things worked well enough that I was happy. Uh, but then oh, usually, I see. and then, but sometimes it is the best one of it. But it's I don't trust the first one that I like. Right. And then I like to have two more for safety. Right. And then I like, and I usually like to have them to be variances. I don't like once I have something, I like to do something that's different. That's great. Sure. I like. You know what? I don't get a lot from directors that I'd like to get more is. When they're saying, I want something different. Because a lot, a lot of times directors won't say that. They'll just give you a direction. Right. And my question is always, do you want me to add that to what's already going on? Or do you want me to go a completely different way? And, and because I'm not sure if that director is honing or if that director is it's exploring. exploring right. you know? and, and, and you'd think it would be obvious, but it really isn't. And I, yeah. I thought a director was honing once. And then at the end, he said, great, now we've got three different versions um, that we oh, can Oh, so use. you want to know ahead of time. I, I want to know gonna, for, I'm gonna, for let's each take. We got, we got the take yeah. I want to use, yeah, but let's yeah, just yeah. see what yeah, else you got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, unless they're, they're way ahead of me and they're trying to be tricky about something, right. which I don't like, but I totally understand. Yeah, I, I, can, I can I totally know. understand that kind of thing. But, but all the, otherwise, like, let me in on it because, you know, I've... I've been working on my craft for a while now, and I can help you out sure. if you let me know we're, we're honing or we're exploring. Yeah, I don't try to do too many tricks. Sometimes if I find an actor is getting too much in their head, I'll tell them, I loved it, we got it, let's just do one more for fun. Yeah. And then that just eases them out of whatever was messing with their head, and then we'll probably do two or three more takes after that. Sure, mm-hmm. yeah. But that's just something that I find can relax an actor once they feel like they've got it. But then if they haven't feel like they got it, then that makes it even worse too. Just when someone's spinning their wheels. It, yeah, it all depends on the actor and on the scene and on the role. Like because there are times where you don't want the actor to be relaxed in that sense. You want them to be like on edge, or on edge, or, or about to lose. Yeah. Or, you know, like there are all sorts of different things. Yeah, so. exactly. Use that. Use well, that you're energy. an editor, right? So yeah. do you find yourself? And I, I, I come from an editing background too. So I find that it's not so much the perfect take. But I'm constantly registering, do I have this moment, do I have that moment? Yep. And I can easily access the takes I've gotten to know, I got the scene. Let's move on. Yeah, I can. I click it off in my head. I'm like, I know I need this moment, this moment, that moment. And so I often do one more take, <laughs> and I'll let the actor know. I'm like, all I need in this take is this moment right here. I need something, and, and I won't say, I, don't, I try not to be too specific in that. I need you to cry, I need you to I'm like, I'm just missing this moment where we, we feel this part of the information, or whatever it is. Right. Right. And then I'm like, the rest of the take is for you. Do whatever the fuck you want. Mm-hmm. I just need, I just need this. And sometimes you'll get some gold. Oh yeah, the rest often. Of it. Yeah, often once because then they got to build into that. Yeah, and yeah. then come out of it, right? Yeah. But if I just go, all I need is this one little in this three minute take. I need this ten seconds to to give me this that I'm right. missing in the scene, and the rest of it's for you. See, that's perfect because for me it's like we're honing this part and we're exploring for the rest of it. And so now I know, like, okay, okay, I'm going to drill in this way. And for this part, I'm going to see what happens. And it, I, I like to know that as an actor. Yeah, because I'm a firm believer that it's like you can't 
ask you can't give an actor more than one note at a time anyway because it's just it's, it's, <laughs> you should talk to some of the other directors out there <laughs> no but it's just well you can and people do yeah. but it's just like how you have to know the actor and what what works for them yeah and, and, and if you're if you're looking for one specific thing let's get that specific thing make an adjustment we'll do another take for the other yeah thing. but if you come in with like five adjustments it's just too overwhelming it's just impossible. there's some actors that can do it though it's true there's you know, something like, they can like, do it in somewhere you want you want them to be overwhelmed because they're in their head. Right? But it depends what they are. If it's like te- if it's like a bunch of different technical things, that's that's one thing. But if it's a whole bunch of different, sure, emo- emotional or, or comedic. But it's also some directors also don't realize that you can't act two things at once. Contradictory things. Yeah. You can. <laughs> well, but you know what I mean. Like you can't. Like you've got to have an intention. You can have subtext to that, but it's, I don't know, I'm not articulating myself Result properly. direction. Yeah. You can't have two results at once. You can go through the process. Yes, thank it. you. That's what I meant. Right. I, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Because some of the best comedy from uh, comes from combining two things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I didn't mean that. Yeah, like, you yeah, want that. Yeah. I just mean more you can't have two different results right, at the yeah, same yeah. time. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> And that's the art of uh, and craft of acting and filmmaking. That's yeah. fun, though. Isn't it? With this is Tampa Sonoda and Lalonde. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any anything else that uh, so so? Let's just wrap it back around to Hidden Fortress as we as we wind right. this down, or is otherwise it, known as Two Shacks in a Ditch. Two Shacks in a Ditch is at the bottom of a ravine. <laughs> is there anything that you watch this and you go, I would pull this from this and kind of like explore it on my own? Um. I, well, you know, it's the hero's journey in term with without the hero. For me, uh, what do I take away from this? Not much. <laughs> <laughs> my, I'll jump in then. My my goal as an actor, especially in comedy, is to achieve what those guys are doing without it being forced the way that they are clearly doing it. Right. I'm talking about the face pulling, like. How, how do you, because I'm constantly doing that for, for all my craft is like, how do I achieve these levels of extreme for real? Yeah. For real. And it's, I love it. I I mean, it's so, it's so much fun when, and, and when you get it, when you find it and it works and it's like, yep, I totally believe that. I totally believe he's going through that right now. And it's ridiculous and it's extreme. It's whatever it is, you know, like I, his, his face is like that. Like, you know, you don't even notice it. Whereas with some of these guys, you, you like, his face must've been so tired at the end of that, you know? <laughs> oh, I bet. So tired. But it feels pull, like they're holding those faces. But if you, yeah, I, I get your meaning. Cause it feels like when you're watching this, especially when they're, when they're crying, they're sobbing and they're in those moments. <laughs> Like you can feel like they're, they've been told us like go wider, make your face wider, as right. opposed to just coming from a natural place. Well, it, and it's a tricky thing with comedy, especially because if if you like really cry, that can suddenly become very not comedic. Yeah. So so how do you really cry but juxtapose it with something so that it keeps it in that comedic world? Like I just. That whole the whole magic of of doing yeah. that, I think, is just fascinating. Aaron Abrams is really good at it. Yeah, I, I know he's awesome. I commented. We saw that. David Tubb is really good at it David as well. Tom. I can be. I can be good at it. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, watching this, it made me realize. You know, to embrace the the oneer more, you can you can get away with. It. I love you the oneer. You can you know I um, right. 
I haven't done it in a while. The last time we did a lot of Wonders was on a TV show called Backstage because inevitably, you know, we're shooting an episode a day. Yeah. I was doing a... Uh, no, well, the kids were doing an episode. I was doing two episodes every four days, so an episode every two days. But inevitably, you get a three-page scene, and it's uh, it's like a fame school, uh, school yeah. of the arts. Awesome, awesome TV show. Great cast. And the cast was so good at this where it'd be like, listen, we got literally 15 minutes to shoot this scene. So you start there, you start there, say your lines, come over here, the camera's going to come here, it's going to swing around here, and we're going to end it. And we would do it, you know, we, every day there'd be one or two of these oneers <coughs> that we would do. And it was so fun. Everybody got into it. And you'd do it, you'd, you'd be done three pages in 15 minutes, and you move on. Uh-huh. And watching Hidden Fortress made me realize, you know, I can, I can do a little bit more of that in the features that I do. And, and oh, especially features. Well, it's just really about the pacing of it. Is that you can't do that for a whole movie. No, you got to know when and where it goes. Or you could, if that's your format, if that's the style you're gonna. Yeah, it's got to work. That you got to do it in such a way where it's not just a lock. Because he does it here where there's lock offs, mm-hmm. but then there's other ones where you, you at the end you go, was that a oneer? Mm-hmm. You know, where you don't quite notice. Around. Yeah, and Spielberg yeah. does that all the time. Mm-hmm. He does these amazing oneers mm-hmm. that you go, oh, because it turned into this and into that. Didn't you do a whole movie with oneers? Paul Shepard was technically a whole movie with Winners, yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Tom, you, you were technically the the uh, the camera operator. That's right. <laughs> the, That's right. the voice of the camera operator anyway. Except that to uh, do I that, think you did do a whole movie with Winners. To do that part, I, I worked it. for yeah. 10 minutes, I think. What's that? <laughs> to do that part, I worked for 10 minutes. Just rattling off the, the lines. That's true. But maybe it was half hour. In the, uh, yeah, in the voice booth yeah, yeah. at the end. But, you know... Uh, Given where uh, film and television is now, it's a, it's a bold choice, you know. Especially yeah. if you don't cover yourself. Especially well, if you don't turn that second camera on and get the 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 close up, you know, ping pong shot of like, oh, we'll cut to this if we don't have it. No, and we couldn't impulse your part because the whole precipice was that it was a documentary filmmaker whose nephew was shooting it for him, right. and so there was no second camera. Yeah, yeah. it's like a trailer park. So sometimes you'd have like jump cuts, or sometimes <coughs> it was mostly we we we'd plan jump cut where jump cuts would be, yeah, uh, and break up a scene that way. But other than that, like the whole movie is, yeah, it's a bunch of Warners. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And that's what you decide to do for your first feature film. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. <laughs> I never think of it that way, but it is true. Like that whole movie is just a series of Warners. It was Zach, right? The camera? Yeah, Zach Malik. Because yeah. he, he should actually get most of the credit for my character. It's true. Right? <laughs> the hand acting. The, the hand, hand. Well, and, and, and the, the gaze, right? The gaze with the camera is... is Helps define what the character is. He was your David Prowse. <laughs> he was my David Prowse. And I'm, I'm James Earl Jones. Yes. yes. Amazing. I've never been compared to James Earl Jones for all of the reasons. <laughs> I think that's a good spot to go out. In Fortress with James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. Yeah. Oh, thanks for coming over, guys. Thank you. Oh, happy to be here. Thanks for the popcorn. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Thanks for joining us for The Hidden Fortress. If you like the show, please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word about it. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook for Black Hole Films. Leave a review there or on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you listen to this thing. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.